At that time, the servant of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut into pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had made as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem, all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest of the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good to see you all. Uh, it is my uh, pleasure to be here with you on this glorious Daylight Savings Day. It's just, this, is, this, is, this, this is the one we like, you know, but, uh, but it's good to be here. Uh, my name is Reed Kappel, and I have the joy of serving here as one of the pastors they lay at the campus. Um, but before we jump into our text, I just want to pray for our time. And so, uh, yeah, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we, we come to you uh, asking, Lord, that you would, by the power of your spirit, speak to us through your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word that we might know you, that we might know who we are, and what it means to live in this world in the way in which you have created us. And so, Lord, would you bless the teaching of your word. May it edify us, may it honor you, and may we be equipped to be the people you have called us to be in this world. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Um, so I have, I have a simple, kind of a simple question uh, I want you to just kind of think about is, um, is, is Olathe a great city? I mean, if you think about just the city we live in, and I know not everybody lives in the, you know, the, the confines of Olathe, but is Olathe a great city? Would you, would you consider it a great city? And, and if so, what's that? Was that a yes? Okay, good. Okay, that's, that's the correct answer. Go in peace. Uh, I'll see you next week. No, no, but... Um, when you think about, like, what is it that makes a great city? What, what, I mean, who says? What are the standards? You know, is it, is it because of our great school district? Is it because of our low cost of living or low crime rate or the fact that we have two super targets in our glorious city? You know, like, what is it that defines a great city? Or, or perhaps, maybe you read this uh, earlier this summer, that perhaps it's because Olathe was ranked the 20th best beach city to live in in the United States. I don't know if you heard about this. This is not a, this is not a joke. Uh, there was a study conducted by a website, a personal finance website called wallethub.com, and they concluded that Olathe is the 20th best beach city to live in the United States. We beat out Miami, Florida, people. Uh, so I don't know how that happened, but the, the kind of the scope, the metrics were basically cities with this kind of population range and at least had one registered beach on tripadvisor.com. What beach is that? Oh, that's right. It's Lake Olathe. Look at that. Look at that beauty. There are going to be timeshares and condos coming soon. And so it's just, I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. But uh, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. But, but in all seriousness, I mean, when we, think about, when we think about what makes a city great, 
what are the standards? What are the metrics? Who says? How do we define it? And, and, and a city may be great for certain people, but that same city may be very difficult and challenging. It may be a, a place in which injustice and brokenness is experienced in some people, not others. So how do we deci- decide and define what makes a great city? And, and I know we can't answer that question in its entirety and with precision in our time this morning, but, but I want us to consider this. As we look at Jeremiah's message to God's people while they're in exile, I want us to consider this idea, that when it comes to the city we live in, we can't just live in our city. We must love our city. And that sounds cute, and you know, I, I'm not trying to like, simplify things, but, but when it comes to the city we live in, we are called to not just live in the city, we are called to love our city. And I think this is precisely what what God's message was to his people living in exile in Babylon, as we see in Jeremiah's message to them in chapter 29. And and just to kind of give some context for us, kind of where we are, where we are are at this point in the story, is that basically this is kind of the I told you so portion of Jeremiah's ministry. You know, he's been telling Judah, like, look, judgment is coming. You're going to be sent into exile. Bad things are coming. An enemy from the north will wipe you out. And finally, that time has come. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has come down, besieged the city, invaded the city, and and literally, I mean, hundreds of people have been murdered. Hundreds of God's people were put to death. But that wasn't the only goal. Nebuchadnezzar had a bigger picture in mind. His plan was not utter annihilation through death, but rather it it was a cultural eradication through the practice of exile. And, and you may not be familiar with exile, we don't really use that as much in our, in our world, but, but the practice of exile was a, the dominating country or culture would come in and rather than just wiping them out, they would take the elites of a culture, they would take the scholars and the artists and the politicians, the, pe- like the, the legal leaders, and they would bring them into their culture and they would assimilate them into their culture. And in so doing, they would, they would take the good things of this culture and bring it into their own And in so doing, they would simultaneously eradicate the culture of the nation that they had defeated. And this is really what's going on with God's people. That the poorest of the poor were left in Jerusalem, but the elites were brought into Babylon to to be assimilated into Babylonian culture. And the hope was that all of God's people and their culture would be wiped away and forgotten. And this is where we find ourselves in the story. God's people are in exile, living in Babylon, Not just a foreign place, but a hostile place. A place that at best sees them as a commodity to be tapped into, and at worst, a nation to be forgotten forever. And so the hope for the future in God's people, just like the temple in Jerusalem, is now in shambles. It does not look good for God's people, and this is the message. This is the context that Jeremiah comes in to proclaim this message of hope. And the first thing I want us to catch in Jeremiah's sermon, his message to the people in exile, is this. He wants them to see the city within the city. He wants them to see the city within the city. And and let me me explain what I mean by that. One thing we have to understand is that when the Bible talks about Babylon, uh, and, and so literally they are in the city of Babylon, the literal city of Babylon. But one thing we have to understand is that Babylon... When you read throughout Scripture, the word Babylon comes up quite often. The first time it's actually referenced is in Genesis uh, chapters 10 and 11. And the Hebrew word Babylon, it's actually Babel. 
And, and the first reference is, is the Tower of Babel. And so our, our English transliteration kind of makes it Babel. Uh, but the word Babel uh, is referring to the city of Babylon, the culture of Babylon. And, and, and in the story of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, you know, we see humanity coming together and saying, we don't need God, we can build and create things, and we will be a God amongst ourselves. And, and what we see in the beginning of Genesis 10 and 11 is that there's this very important theme being established. And that theme is this idea that's really woven throughout the whole biblical storyline. It's this idea that, that there are two civilizations, there are two cities in our world, and these two cities are in constant contrast and competition. And these cities are the city of God and the city of Babylon. The city of God represents God's character of justice, compassion, mercy, and grace. The city of Babylon is really the epitome of, of a culture, of a civilization built on human pride and corruption and violence. So Babylon is this symbolic monument to humanity's proclivity and tendency to create cultures that produce violence and corruption, injustice and hatred. And so in some ways, you can say that the, the story arc of Scripture, and really of, of all human history, is the tale of two cities, the city of God on one hand and the city of Babylon that represents death, the city of God representing life, the city of Babylon representing death. So when we come to Jeremiah 29, we see God's people literally living in the city of Babylon. But there's a bigger picture that we need to see as we understand this story in light of all of Scripture. What we have to see is that while they are in the literal city of Babylon, this is also a picture of what it means to live as God's people in whatever place God has put us in. To live in the city of Babylon is the picture we see of what it means to live in a broken world. And so the message of Jeremiah 20, 29 really is a message for all Christians throughout time and throughout history and in all places. What this means is that if you identify as a follower of Jesus, what this is saying is that you must see yourself in this city and you must see yourself as a person living in exile. Because what it means is that your citizenship is primarily the city of God. That is where you find your origin. But we find ourselves living in the city of Babylon, a city that doesn't perfectly and completely reflect the character and nature of God. And so the message to the exiles in Babylon in Jeremiah 29 is also a message to us as followers of Jesus living in a culture that doesn't always reflect the nature and the character of God. And so we aren't what it means for followers of Jesus is that we aren't fully residents of whatever city we're living in, but neither are we fully immigrants or foreigners or aliens. We must see ourselves as resident aliens, as ambassadors that live in this city, seeking to change the Babylonian parts of our city to reflect the character and the attributes of the city of God. But what that doesn't mean is that if, if you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that that translates to us creating these godly ghettos or these kind of Christian communes in our city where we're kind of away from all the big, big bad Babylonian parts of our city. We are called to seek the welfare of our city. We are called to be a part of this city. And this is what Jeremiah says in verses 5 and 6 in communicating what does it look like to live within Babylon 
Jeremiah says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So what Jeremiah is saying to the exiles really is a message to all of us that we are meant to live as ambassadors in the city of God, from the city of God, living in the city of Babylon. I mean, you think about what, what an ambassador is. An ambassador is someone from city A or country A, let's say, living in country B. And the ambassador is meant to represent country A as they live in country B. And a good ambassador is one who doesn't lose their identity from country A as they're living in country B. They embrace, they, they hold on to who they are. But also a good ambassador is one who appreciates and can understand and celebrate the good things of country B while they maintain their identity from country A. A good ambassador maintains their identity of country A while living in, celebrating it, and even contributing to the good of country B. And so what this means for those that identify as followers of Jesus is that you don't just live in the city, you love the city. This is not just the place we find ourselves living until Jesus comes back, but we are called to love the city, to seek its good, and in so doing, we find our good. It means that you don't just assimilate to the city and just reflect the culture as if there is no difference, but neither does it mean that, that we isolate ourselves from the culture, where we are really of no good and value at all. We must live distinctly in the city as citizens of the city of God, living in the city of Babylon. Pastor and author Tim Keller, he puts it this way, really helpful in framing this, this idea of what does it mean to live as citizens of the city of God and the city of Babylon. He says, on the one hand, God tells his people, and he's referring to Jeremiah 29 here, God tells his people to increase and to retain their distinct community identity and to grow. But he also tells them to settle down and engage in the life of the great city. While living in Babylon, they are not simply to increase their tribe in a ghetto within the city. They are to use their resources to benefit the common good. And so what this means for those of us who would say we identify with Jesus is that we must see the city within the city, that we don't just live within Olathe, but that we are called as ambassadors from the city of God that represents justice, compassion, mercy, and grace. We are called to be citizens of the city of God living in this city, seeking to build the city we're in to look more like the city that we are originally from, the city of God. And that means we can't just live in the city, we must love the city. And we must love the city to life, which is really the second part, I think, of Jeremiah's message. Now, now it's kind of cool and hip to talk about your city, loving your city, being invested in your city, but one thing you have to understand about the message in Jeremiah 29 is that when Jeremiah is telling those in exile to seek the welfare of Babylon, they're saying, hey, you know, you know the city you're in? You know the city that, that is responsible for the murder of your family members? The, the city that took you away from everything that you knew, that you love, that's familiar, and now you're being assimilated into their culture and they're trying to wipe you out? Yeah, that's the city I want you to love and to pray for and to work towards its good. The thing we have to remember is that Babylon does not want the good of Judah. 
Babylon does not want to see God's people prosper. On the, on the, on the contrary, they want to eradicate this culture entirely. And God tells his people to love this city, to seek the welfare of this city, to, to work towards the peace of this city. Which is exactly what Jeremiah says in verse 7. He says, seek the welfare of the city. So after he says, build homes and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, have children, have grandchildren, be established, he says, but also seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now this word welfare that we see, the Hebrew word behind it is the word shalom, which typically is translated peace, which is kind of a, a weak Kind of a weak sauce word to translate because shalom has a bigger picture in mind behind what peace is, what shalom is. It's not just the absence of division or hatred. It's not just the absence of, of tension and hatred. It's, it is really this bigger picture of wholeness, of prosperity, of a fullness of life, of harmony. And the thing we have to understand is that it has this communal nature to it. That shalom is not just an individual reality, but it very much has a corporate communal nature to it, which is why we're called to seek the welfare of the city, not just for individuals. And really, this is what God is calling his people to and sending them out for. God has placed them in a foreign culture so that they would not isolate themselves from the culture or from the city and and not just assimilate themselves into the culture and just reflect it, but that they would work for the good, the welfare, the shalom, the peace, the flourishing of the city. And not just to make their lives better, but the aim, the hope, God's command to the people in exile is that you must seek the welfare of the city, and in so doing, that is how you find your welfare. That is how you find peace amongst yourself, is not by building it for yourself, but building it for others. And what does God suggest that his people do to seek the peace of Babylon? What is the pathway? What are the steps? I mean, he basically says, go apply for a home loan at the first Babylonian bank down the road, you know, go, go, uh, go uh, put, a, put an offer on a house in Babylonian Gardens, you know, the neighborhood down the street, uh, join the Babylonian YMCA, and start a punch card at the Babylonian Bistro. Like, he's saying, like, you're going to be here for a while, so commit to this city. Live here as if it were your own home. Care for it. Build towards its goodness. Own the problems of the city. Care for the needs of the city. I mean, really, what you, could do, you can boil down Jeremiah's message to this. God is going to build his city of life right in the middle of a city of death. And his pathway in doing so is for his people to simply live as if this were their home, to live and to work, to engage and to serve the city in such a way that this place is my home. God fully expects his people to live, to work, to serve and engage in the city in a way that builds towards its good. And he wants the city of Babylon not just to be eradicated, but that it would begin to reflect the city of God in all of its beauty, in its creativity, in its justice, in its truth, in its love and compassion. This is the picture that God has in mind. And what's the pathway? It's really through the normal day stuff of life. Notice notice Jeremiah's commands in verses 5 and 6. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So how does God see the peace of this city of death coming about? 
It's through his people being faithfully present in the city and fruitfully productive in the city through the everyday stuff of life, through their work, through the way in which they build their homes and the way in which they raise their children, that God expects his people in the middle of a city of death to contribute to the economic and social and cultural good of the city. And again, the the picture of of the Babylonian exile is a picture of the Christian life. That that if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like to live wherever God has called us. Because as great as Olathe may be, there are parts of our city that, that don't reflect the city of God. That it is broken. That there are parts that don't reflect shalom. That it is a city, yes, that may be great for some, but not for all. And so we are called to not just live in the city, but we are called to love the city in such a way that it makes the city a better place for all people, not just ourselves. And so that leads us to ask this question, do we as a church, do we, do we just live in our city? Or do we love our city? Do we have this posture that we seek the welfare of the city and that that is the pathway in seeking our own good? So what does it look like for us to love our city, to seek its welfare, its peace, and its shalom? Well, one thing I'd like to do and if you've been around Christ, we do this thing called the ministry spotlight, where we, we kind of uh, bring attention to ways in which God is at work in and through our people. Uh, and I thought what we do is rather than doing kind of the front end is just put it smack dab in the middle of the sermon. And, and I want to invite my friend Tim, uh, Tim, Tim Garrett up, and I want to share just a little bit of the ways in which God is at work in our city. Uh, and, and Tim Garrett is a member of our church. Uh, he's also a member of, of our outreach team uh, here at the Olathe campus. Uh, and, and Tim is a part of... A, a part of our ministry partner, Mission Southside, that exists to bring help and hope to the under-resourced in Johnson County. And one of the things that Mission Southside uh, desires to do is that the work they do is through the conduit of what they call site teams. And they ask churches to essentially form a relationship with an apartment complex in their area and seek to form relationships and, and that through the ministry and resources of, of Mission Southside, we can provide help and hope uh, for, in many ways, a forgotten people. And so, Tim, I would just love for you to share a little bit about the, the, the site team. What is a site team and where, what apartment complex have we been partnered up with at Christ Community? Well, thank you, and thank you for... I get nervous. It's 14 minutes. It's counting, <laughs> I know, it's I know, counting I know. down oh, Get going, here. get going. It's like, hurry. Uh, no, I really appreciate your message because the nations are here in Kansas City. They, they are right here. We don't have to send necessarily people overseas. We can reach them here, see them become Christ followers, and then go back to their own nations. So I'm, I'm very, very excited about that. South Fork is off uh, Dennis Avenue by Frisco Lake, Old Highway 56 and I-35 in that area. And there's half our... Hispanic people and half are Algerians, almost all Muslim. So the site team is made up of a uh, resource coordinator, an event planner, and spiritual formation person that overlooks the entire uh, site and what are the needs there. And some of the ways that we can meet needs, there was recently a family from Puerto Rico that lost everything, made their way to Kansas City, and I got a call saying, hey, there's a family here, they've lost everything. My family and I 10 years ago, lost our house in a Greensburg tornado. So we know what it's like when you lose everything. We need to help people get back on their feet. So we know the manager there, the assistant manager, and they feel free to call us to say, hey, here's what's happening in this area, uh, which is it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, and it's a unique culture, I mean, with, with two distinct cultures and people groups, which it makes some, for some complexities, but, but the beautiful thing about Tim in his role leading the site team is caring for the whole complex. 
Uh, but we're looking for people who, who are able and willing to be a part of that. And so uh, maybe before we get to that is what are some things that we have been doing? What are some ways in which we've seen God at work um, in opening up uh, relationships there? Yeah, even before we became a site team, a friend and I got together. We started praying around Frisco Lake. We added, uh, just asked people to join with us as we were trying to reach Algerians before this became a site team. And God, in his sovereignty and everything, just started opening doors. We now have connections with 14 Algerian families. I think they're pretty much all Muslim. It's been wonderful. This week, I got invited by Yusuf and Samir to come to Algeria, to their country, in June, so I'm going to Algeria, God willing, and he, he just said in, in his Berber, Arabic way of saying, no, no, no hotel, we have couscous every meal, and I'm like, oh, wow, I hope I like couscous, uh, yeah, so I, I introduced you to all my family, we take you all over, it, it doesn't cost anything, just, just buy your airfare, which is great, he's really close to becoming a Christ follower, so I think when we do what you're saying, and we have to get dirty with people. We have to live life with them. We have to just show them that we love them, and then they can see that we're people of peace. That leads to other great things. We've got some people that take people to DMV, and if you can hang out with people in DMV for all day long, that's, <laughs> that's, tr that's true love. That, that's going above and beyond the call. Some people aren't called to that. Um... No, that's beautiful. And, and, and one of the things, uh, Tim had mentioned, yeah, the, the, the family from Puerto Rico displaced because of the Hurricane Irma. And, and the beautiful thing is that because of the resources available at Mission Southside and through the relationships, so rather than just say, hey, go here and get, get needs, we had some members of our church were able to connect with them, take them to Mission Southside together uh, to find clothes and food for them. And so it's a really, all of it is through the conduit of relationships, which is really important. So. And, and that's our next step is we need people. We're looking for people to say, I will pray weekly for this Hispanic side, because again, before we became a, a partner of South Fork, we were already praying for the Algerians, and God has opened so many doors. We need to, to ramp up the praying, because if, if it's not based on prayer, it's not going to work. Yeah. we got to get to a point where we say, God, I got nothing. Yeah. You're going to have to show us how to do this. So we're looking for people that can specifically start praying for the Hispanic people, and what would God have us do? You don't have to speak Spanish. I don't speak Arabic. I don't speak Berber. And yet God's opened all these doors into areas. So we need to ramp that up so we can really see what God has for the next step. And yeah. it's really in his hands. Yeah. So I would encourage, if you have questions, I would encourage you to find Tim. Uh, he'll be out in the lobby after this service and all the services. But, uh, but there is just still a lot uh, to be done. Uh, it's not, it's still very much grassroots. But, but we're excited to see the way in which God is opening our eyes to see the needs in our city and, and seeing some of the forgotten uh, demographics and communities in Olathe. And so this is just right down the road. So, so Tim, thank you for your, for your help. Would you just join me in sharing your appreciation for Tim? And, and, I, and I, we share that. And it, it's not us tooting our own horn. I hope you don't hear that. It's just more, we want to share stories of what God is doing and, and make that available for people in our congregation. So if you have questions, I invite you to, to chat with Tim, talk to me, uh, but there is a, still a lot to do, and, and this, isn't, this isn't the only way we think about loving our city. This is one small way that we would have eyes to see the needs of our city, the vulnerable, the forgotten. And so, um, so yeah, beautiful work that Mission Southside, that we get to do with them uh, through this site team at the South Fork Apartment Complex. So uh, let, me, let me just suggest a few things for us is as we think about, okay, what does it then? It's not just being a part of the site team at, at South Fork Apartments, but what does it look like for us to love our city? What does it look like to love our city to life? And let me just offer three things for you to consider. The first is this, is that we have to know our city's culture. 
We have to know our city's culture. And that may sound strange to say something about Olathe. Like, Olathe, it's like, it doesn't have culture. It was like invented by the people who invented cubicles. You know, it's not that interesting. But, but there is a culture. There is a culture. I, I grew up in Olathe. I'm from here. And so we tend to look at the cities like, this is just a place I live. It's just a place to flop and live. And, but we need to see the distinct culture of our city. And I think that means knowing your neighbors, for sure, knowing your immediate neighbors across the street. But know your neighbors across town. Be willing to understand what, what is life in Olathe like for people who are different from me. And so I would encourage you, maybe shop in different parts of the town that you're not naturally around. Understand the, the, the life of an immigrant in our community that is very different from the way most of us experience life in Olathe. Know the things that, that, that form and shape uh, the, the, the poverty that we have in Olathe. You may not know this, but the fastest growing demographic um, of people living below the poverty line in Olathe are girls between the ages of birth and 11. It's the fastest growing demographic of people living below the poverty line. There is brokenness in our community and city, material brokenness for sure, relational brokenness, but do we understand and know the culture of our city? Second, we need to own the city's problems. And this is one that's really hard for us. I will admit it's hard for me because I tend to look out for me and my own and that's our natural bent that we care for ourselves and for our kind, but we have to be people who are willing to look at the problems of our neighbors, both across the street and across town, as our own problems. And, and that may not sound like, like a lot of like, great wisdom, but when we understand the nature in which God has called us to love our city to life, it means that we must own the problems of our city. As God said through Jeremiah, seek the welfare of, its, of the city, and in so doing you will find your own welfare. We can't do that until we begin to feel that the problems of our neighbors are our problems. And the uh, last month at our Common Good Conference, Andy Crouch uh, spoke on this, this very issue. He said this very helpfully. He said that the flourishing of a culture or a city is only found when the most vulnerable flourish, when they are known, when they are related to, when they are invited in and consulted with and given dignity. And so just think about what would our church look like? What would our neighborhoods look like, our city look like, our world look like if we owned the problems of our neighbors? If, if, we, if we were not content just simply feeling bad about what is going on, but, but we truly entered in and tried to understand the problems of our city, the problems of our neighbors, and felt a sense of ownership and responsibility in seeking the welfare of all that live in our city. So thirdly, Yes, we need to be people who are able to know the, city of our, the culture of our city, own the problems of our city, but we should also invest in the city's future. And what I mean by that is that we, we need to, I mean, that, that starts with raising our own children, that we would be people who seek to, to raise our children to be citizens of the city of God, that work to build the city of God within the city of Babylon, wherever they find themselves, that they would have more of a desire to build a city that represents and reflects the character of God of justice, compassion, mercy, and peace. And that we would not be people who are complicit in and involved in a city that, that promotes corruption and brokenness and justice and violence. And so part of it is in our, the way in which we raise our children, but it's also through the way in which we do our work. Are we doing our work in whatever God has called us to in such a way that we are building the city of God? That we are promoting peace and justice and fairness? That we are seeking the welfare of our city even in what we do day in and day out, whether in the home or outside the home or paid or unpaid? But also encourage us to be people who pray for our city. Pray for the, the leaders of our city. Pray for the churches in our city. Pray for companies and organizations that have significant influence in our city. 
and pray that they would be people and companies and organizations that seek the good of others. Pray for the vulnerable and the broken in our city that God would have us give us eyes to see the way in which there are needs in our world. And, and within this idea of investing in the city's future, I also say give. Be generous with your time, with your money, with your words. Let us be people who invest, yes, financially with our time to care for our city. And, and yes, that looks like investing in the church, but, but beyond that as well. And I, and I hope you know that as you invest and give to Christ's community, you are giving to hope in this world. Yes, we're keeping the lights on for sure. And yes, we're wanting to create a space where more people can come to know Jesus. But when you invest in Christ's community, you are giving hope throughout our city. As you invest in Christ's community, you've allowed a place for a single mom at Brookside or Brookside campus who just adopted a four-year-old son. She now has multiple male leaders kind of speaking into her adopted son's life. That wouldn't have happened without the church. Or, or you, in, in your giving and generosity, you've allowed a number of young adults who attend our, our downtown campus who befriended a, a single elderly woman who they, they met through an apartment complex Thanksgiving dinner. And they formed a relationship with her, invited her to church. She was very much estranged and alienated from the church. And she came to church and she came to know the Lord. And she has now invited multiple people from her apartment complex to church who have come to know Jesus. I, I share this not again to toot our own horn, but just so that you would know that when you invest in local church, you are investing in hope and brokenness in our world, and the, the, the restoration of brokenness in our world. So all this may sound great, you know, and motivating. This is kind of this, all right, let's get out there and, and love our city, you know, but I want us to see that if we don't have a real clear vision of what all of this is building towards, then, then we, we will find ourselves either being burnt out or bummed out. We need more than just hands and hearts that love the city, and we need more than eyes that just see the city within the city. We need something bigger, and I think what we need is we need to long for the city that lasts. And this is really what Jeremiah is rooting his commands in. He roots it in the promise that God is working to establish his city in his creation to bring about the promise of the restoration of all things. Notice what Jeremiah says in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So what is it that enables us to see the city within the city? What, what is God getting at in this promise? What empowers us to love the city to life in and through our work and service and engagement? What is it that equips us to make the problems of our city our own problems? It is the sure hope that God will fulfill his promise in redeeming his people and restoring them and returning them to his place that will be the restoration of this broken world. What God is doing is he is moving all of creation throughout history towards the restoration of all things, not the eradication of this culture, but the redeeming and restoration of this culture. This is what God has been up to from the beginning. He sent Adam to the Garden of Eden to maintain the shalom of creation. He called Abraham to be the father of a mighty nation so that he might bring shalom to all nations. He sent Jesus, his son, the prince of shalom, to be the fulfillment of these promises 
And God has sent his church and continues to send his church to be the body of Christ, to be his collective ambassadors, living, coming from the city of God, living in the city of Babylon. And the hope we have is that a day is coming where the cities of Babylon will be so loved to life in such a way that all remains is the one true city of God, the city that, will lo- that we all long for, the city that will remain forever, the city whose king is Jesus, the city whose king is the one who loved his enemies by dying in their place. This city, the king Jesus of this city is the one who gave up his life for the welfare of you and for me. The one who made our problems literally his problems and nailed them to the cross so that we might be restored and redeemed and called to be ambassadors of God's city in whatever city we find ourselves in. So may this empowering truth compel us to be a church who loves our city to life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you asking that you would give us eyes to see the city within our city. Lord, you've called us to represent your city that reflects your character of goodness, of justice, of mercy, and peace. Lord, may we be people who have eyes to see the brokenness in our world and in our city, that we might own the problems of our community, of our neighbors, and work to maintain and build the peace of this great city, and in so doing would we find our peace. Lord, would you mobilize us as a church to be a church that exists for the good of others, that we would leave this place with a mind and a heart and hands that desire to build towards the goodness of this city. May we not just live in our city, but may we love it to life. We pray this all in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, I do do hope and pray that as as we leave this place, we would leave with eyes wide open that we would look at our city, not just as this place that we live, not just a place that we call home, but a place that we love, that we work to build, to look more and more like the character of our God. So thank you for, for being here and joining us and worshiping with us. Uh, if you are new, we'd love to meet you at our welcome table outside. Or, and again, if you'd like to chat with Tim more about uh, the work at the South Fork Apartment Complex with Mission South, I'd invite you to do that. But, but as we leave this place to be the church gathered, to be the church scattered, Hear these words from Jeremiah to us, that we might live into this reality as ambassadors of God's city, living in the city of Babylon, seeking its welfare. So brothers and sisters, seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. Go in the shalom of the Lord. Have a great week. Amen.